With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. It's already done. It's the Pressure Points Unpacked Podcast. With host Tyra Little. We're live Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. This show deals with personal and community issues by getting to the root cause and causes on an open and raw level. We're unpacking emotional, spiritual, mental, and physical topics that influence and often control us. Get ready to unload, examine, and process. Let's get unpacked on Never Had It So Good Sports Media Network. Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Well, hello, and welcome to Pressure Points Unpacked, and I'm your host, Tyra Little. So today we're going to do things a little bit different. I know normally you're used to my Tuesday where I have a clergy member and a professional counselor, but we have an election coming up. And so because of that, as we know, this is a social justice platform, so we have to deal with all aspects of everything. We have an election. I want to give an opportunity for the candidates in the city of Columbia to be on. Um, I will be inviting all of them on. And the only way that you won't hear from them is if they decide not to come on. So for the remainder of this month, as well as October, that's what we'll be doing. So today... We have candidate Krista Williams with us for the first half of the show. And then for the second half, we're going to have Tina Herbert. So right now, Krista, I want to welcome you to the show. Thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to come on and to talk with the listeners. So if you would, Thank you, Tyra. Enter, go ahead and um, give us a little bit about yourself. Well, um, thanks for inviting me on the show, Ms. Little and your staff. I'm Krista Williams, running for Columbia City Council for District 1. Uh, a little about me, um, I, my background is in uh, being a state employee. I'm also in the military. So those are two branches of service work to our citizens of South Carolina. And I've decided to run uh, with, as being that public servant um, to our citizens in South Carolina, but they'll be in District 1 of Columbia. Um, I am one of those uh, people that, you know, get up in the morning and my job, my, my goals are to get things done. Um, I believe that's very important for any political candidate because that's normally one of the biggest things that we hear is that we elect people into office and they don't get things done. Um, so that's something that's very important in terms of voter education is looking for those candidates who will say and who will get things done. Um, also, someone that understands the needs of the working class. Um, I grew up in a small town, went to a public school, um, and was able to get into college at Columbia College, did some remedial classes to work my way up to the academic standards, um, and now I'm a doctoral candidate. So um, I really understand the needs of, of the everyday person uh, in the working class. Also, I work in corrections. Working in corrections, uh, little, Ms. Little, you um, 
you mentioned the phrase social justice. You get to see all facets of social justice issues uh, working within the prison system. And within District 1, we have a lot of our ex-offenders uh, that live within District 1. We also have the bus stops. Uh, where a lot of those offenders are dropped off at after they have served their time of incarceration. Um, so having that background in corrections, I truly believe uh, with all of the other social justice, justice issues that are prevalent in District 1 that I would be a great candidate and the best choice um, to, you know, work with. Uh, I, I, someone gave me the analogy, um, you know, when they were talking to me one day, they said, Williams, you're the type of a person, you're the type of woman um, that you can go and, and interact and feed the homeless and, and, and work with uh, ex-offenders, and then you can go brief the governor as well. So we need that kind of candidate in office that can work with all types of people and, and be in their neighborhoods um, and talk with them and get to know them, not just put a sign up outside of their neighborhood, but actually go into those neighborhoods and get to know the needs um, and desires of those uh, voters in, in, in those communities. Okay. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, I will say this. I have definitely seen you in a community. I've seen you putting your hand to the plow. I know you have plucked <laughs> code enforcement nerves because um, that's the one thing, you know, I, I see you doing a lot of stuff, calling, getting things done. But one of the questions, Krista, for you is, after you say, for instance, if you do win this election, um, will you still be this visible in the community? Because right now, you know, you're coming in the community, you know, your name isn't really known, um, but now you being, you know, you're, you're getting that exposure. Um, you know, we see you in the neighborhood, and just like I said, I mean, I know you have been on code enforcement about Ames Road. Um, I've seen you actually knocking on doors. Um, but if you were to be elected into into this um, council seat, will you still be that visible? Yes, and, and Ms. Little, that is a wonderful question. And that is something that every voter out there should be asking every person that is running for office and hold them accountable because too often we get comfortable with, oh, this person is a great person or I like this person as a person. But the second question that I always tell every voter to ask, is this person great for the community? And as for me, I'm saying this now, if I don't assist the community and get the job done and I'm elected this time around, vote me out. And if we do that from every position, from school board all the way up to the president of the United States, we will be better off as a country. But oftentimes we get so comfortable with people because of association or they're connected to this person or that person. That's not what gets the job done. What gets the job done sometimes might be that unpopular person because a lot of times it's not popular to, to get in the trenches, like you said, get out there, hold people accountable, get things done. Sometimes that's, a lot of times that's not the popular choice. Those are not the popular people because they're getting things done and they're ruffling feathers of people who are used to, well, this is the way we've always done it. And mm -hmm. we have to move away from that as a community because it's mm -hmm. hurting us. 50% right. of our property in Richland County is rental property. Mm -hmm. So what is that saying for the constituents within? We're not owning our communities. Right. Most of you, you see a lot of times in the African-American communities, you have people who grandparents and parents own the home and their children right. are renting that same home. How is that possible? 
So we really need someone that's going to speak out, speak the truth, and get things done along with the community. And, and I would definitely ask for the community support every day to assist and get things done as well. And so you so know what, a great what, you, what you just said, Crystal, was really key because the one thing that I always talk about with the listeners on my show is this. After we get people elected, right, it is still our job to help to support them. We don't just elect you and then if we have an issue or we see something um, legislation that needs to be changed, we, we need to talk to you about it because this is how we begin to affect change in our community. And I will tell you right now, I mean, I'm one that, that I will definitely, if you win, I will definitely hold you accountable. And so the same energy that I see you putting in now um, to make yourself known, you're getting out here and, you know, you're, you know, trying to get things done in the community. I expect to see the same thing. And I will even say this, Krista, if the community is truly your passion and if, building community, bringing community back, making it strong again, if that is truly your passion, even if you did not win the election, I would still expect to see you because it shouldn't just be about this election. Exactly. And one of, and I, 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 don't, I didn't mention it in my introduction, but I'm the president of a nonprofit called the Rural South Carolina Project. Um, and if you look that up, you will see we, we've gone around the state of South Carolina because voter education and voter registration is my passion. Because with that, with educating voters, we can get to the root of a lot of the issues and problems that we talk about every day. That's why that's so important to me. Just this morning, I had an interview with one, well, not an interview, but a meeting with a parole agent. And her area wants to know how do we get involved in the community to try to spend this thing with our offenders and ensure that once they're coming off of parole, they are um, getting registered to vote. They have the proper identification. They're talking with uh, legal aid about getting records expunged. That is how we move to those areas of change because we are in the trenches and working with the individuals in the trenches. Um, and that part of my career was done and, and, and still, still is ongoing um, before I ran for office. Um, many people that know me and a lot of my coworkers they will tell you, Ms. Williams doesn't care who she, she's going to make, she will make mad, but she's going to get the job done. If it's something that's right for the majority of the people, she's going to work and work to get things done. And I really, and, and I want to say this, because Ms. Little, you brought up a good point. Any of you that are listening out there, please ensure that you are having this conversation with every candidate that's running for city council to include your mayoral candidate. Okay. Have this conversation with everyone and look at their track record. Look at their track record and what they have done and what they have accomplished or what ha- haven't they done. Right, right. Well, I would say this. Making um, sure that. Mm-hmm. I, I would say this because I do have some questions that has been, um, you know, sent in that other people wanted, wanted me to ask as well. Um, but I will say this. Um, which you're talking about with corrections in the month of November. Um, this is when I will go back to my regular, the way I, the way the show is actually set up. And we're actually going to deal with um, prison reform and all of this. So I would definitely love to talk to you off scene about that. So let's, let's, let's get rolling here. Um, so one of my, the first questions that I want to ask you, um, let's see. So, 
it's important to be a physical representation of the communities you intend to serve. However, marginalized and minority communities have often felt unrepresented and overlooked by the people that look like them. What experience or vision makes you qualified to serve this community? Now, you know, you've, you've said a lot, but, you know, about yourself as far as being in the military, and thank you for your service. Um, I can call you comrade. I'm retired military as well. Um, but beyond that type of, of, of service, if you could answer that question, what experience and visions make you qualified to serve this community? So just delving into a little deeper, you talked about marginalized and minority communities. I mean, marginalized and minority people. Mm-hmm. Uh, first, I'm, I'm black. First, the second, I'm a woman. Um, and those two combinations together can sometimes put you in that un- undesirable position to where people look at you as the angry, mad black woman because you want to speak out and because you want to get things done. Um, so experiencing those, I've experienced, you know, though, and I work in two male-dominated professions, corrections um, and the military. So being in those professions, um, I've learned a lot. Um, I've, I've learned of, of, you know, not being on that side of, trying to move up because of special favors or who I'm sleeping with. So, you know, being people of color, okay, and being a woman on top of that, you're going to have a lot of experiences that come your way. And working in the prison system, working with, uh, you know, incarcerated individuals who have so many different charges, Um, But you still have to, you can't discriminate. You have to figure out a way to say, hey, this happened, but this is where we need to get to now. So my experience working in corrections and those same individuals, a lot of them see me out in the street. That's one thing about offenders. They don't always stay in prison. They get out. Um, And having them come to me and talk to me and ask for advice or me helping them and guiding them and leading them into a job or talking to them about, you know, leaving the gangs alone and and talking to them about how that destroys our community, how that tears up the family structure, you know, getting young men, you know, to realize that we need them in the community to push our communities forward um, is is one facet of that. Um, Being in the military, being a black woman, being a female officer, um, being a female officer, you know, is, 1%. 1%. Being a black female officer, you're at less than a half a percent. So working through that and, and still, you know, maintaining a good track record, sometimes it can be difficult. Um, and, and those types of experiences is what molds me to be able to deal with and work with people from a vast variety of backgrounds. Um, Someone may have legal knowledge or someone may have medical knowledge or someone, you know, may have some technical knowledge, but how do you translate that knowledge into being able to work with various groups of people and those individuals feeling like that they can come to you and talk to you, that you're approachable? And that's Mm -hmm. what we need in a representative. We need someone that people feel comfortable talking to that is approachable. If you haven't seen a candidate or heard of a candidate 
of any type of election that has been in your neighborhood, that has been calling people in your neighborhood, that has spent time, that is trying to improve something in your neighborhood, or offer some sort of insight on what your community offers to the greater picture for this state, they're probably not going to be that relatable person. We need people that when you call them, they're going to call you back or they're going to pick up the phone. We need people that are going to work with the community because District 1 has a vast variety of people. I mean, we have people who are millionaires in District 1. We have people who can't read or write. So a representative to represent that vast variety has to be someone that does what? Not keep those groups segregated and separated, but someone who can bring those groups of people together. And all of that is factual. So now let's go back to what is your vision for District 1? My vision for District 1, one of the biggest things is our district, we need an overhaul in beautification, beautification for our district. Um, when you're driving through the city and you get to a certain part of town, and there's Krista, I want you to kind of narrow that down. I want you, boom, give me your vision because I have to move on to some other things because I'm getting you. I got you. When, I need you to, yeah. So, yes, ma'am. So when there's trash everywhere, and, and, and this plays into the overall picture. This plays into who wants to come and invest in our community, who wants to bring um, opportunity to our community. We have to clean our communities up and in more than one way. We got to get people educated in our communities. We need a trade school. We got to get people, you know, with basics, proper identification so that they can apply for jobs. We have certain areas of our district that doesn't have a grocery store. Whenever we're bringing new industry in, we have to look at what is the needs of those communities before we allow big, big business to pop up, but the same needs in the community still have not been met. Okay, right. so, okay, so look now at, you know so, what? You're, seg- yeah. you're segueing into another question for me. So let me yeah. ask this question. Based on the current shortage of affordable housing in the city, do you think it would have been more feasible and less expensive to completely renovate Allen Benedict Court rather than demolishing it and rebuilding it? Take a look at what Allen University did to Higgins Hall. Well, the thing with Allen Benedict Court, I don't know all the ins and outs of what structural damage was, was done or, you know, what, um, you know, in, in, as far as environmental concerns that were considered to demolish the building and then rebuild it. Um, so with, with, without having that information, um, I can't really say yay or nay. But when it okay. comes to affordable housing, um, even though, Allen Benedict Court is going to be remodeled, even though there are other visions for more affordable housing complexes to pop up. It's still not going to be enough housing for the people that need affordable housing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like I said in my introduction, 50% of the property in Richland County is rented out. Right. So we are are in a housing, uh, affordable housing crisis here. And this is something that has been strategic. It's moved in like a serpent. Mm-hmm. And our leaders, our representatives in the community, the same conversation that we're having now, those conversations should have been had with those individuals. Because right. they have allowed this to now happen 
And we're in a situation where you have people from overseas and out of state that's owning half of our communities. Correct. And they're not going to fix them. Why? Because they're getting tax credits for keeping properties run down. Mm-hmm. And like I said, once I said again, it came in like a serpent. It was under current leadership. And that's why I asked voters, have this same intense conversation with all candidates that's running for all offices, because this is, this is what it leads to, a crisis when we don't hold people accountable. Right. Mommy, you're absolutely right. And, you know, and that's the one thing that I can say for me, I learned about voting um, when I was, when I was stationed in, in Chicago um, as a, you know, as a young kid, when I was in the military younger, but um, because one thing about it is they hold you accountable. You make any promises there in Cook County and you don't stand up to it. Guess what? You will be a one-time representative because they're going to get you out of here. And so I believe that, that's the thing that needs to begin to happen in the city of Columbia. And for sure, I'm definitely going to be one that's going to hold people accountable. So here's my next question for you. For a long time, the Democratic Party has been aligned with being the voice for the people. We have seen for decades how this could easily be deemed an untruth. What is an area you are willing to change the Democratic Party on or work with them to repair? that directly benefits the people? I said it earlier. It's voter education and voter registration. This past 2020 presidential election, we had over a million registered voters, not including registered, but a million registered voters that did not vote. And 500,000 of those approximately were African-Americans. And then we wonder why we have who we have at the state level right? or why things are the way they are at the state level. We cannot, and I stress, we cannot overlook the importance of voter registration and voter education. Somebody can come talk to you as a candidate or as an elected official and tell you they've been on this board from A to Z. But when you look at their voter history and see that only a minuscule portion of the population has voted for them, they're not important. They're they're not as as great as they say they are. Why? Because they're not educating their constituents to vote. That that old or good old boy, good old girl way of politicking is you get only the clicks to vote for you. You keep everybody else in the dark, and then now you only got to be accountable to a small group of people. No, that's not, that's hurting us. From a Democratic standpoint, from the Democratic Party standpoint, that is what is hurting us. Is because when you look at a lot of these elected officials, I challenge anyone that's looking out here, look at their voter record and see how many people out of how many, how many people in the population their voting population or voting districts are actually voting for them. The last um, city council election, we have over 18,000 voters in District 1, Mm -hmm. but we only had about 1,800 to show up to the polls. We need people to vote right? because that is how we get great, great candidates in and change begins to happen. 
when, right. when and, 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 and the representative's job is to motivate those individuals to get out and vote. But a lot of them, they don't want them to vote because they want to just be held accountable to that minuscule portion of their district. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you this. I definitely do agree with you 100% as far as voter education, because that's one of the things that I talk about all the time. You know, um, we got to stop dodging jury duty. You know, uh, it, I mean, we, we just do. We, we We have to cut it out. I mean, it is ridiculous because... You know, you're wondering why these things are happening when people are going to court, but we're not present. And so the education piece is definitely going to be important. Now, let me ask you this. I want to know, um, because there's a lot of issues out here when you're dealing with mental health, and even as we're dealing in the prison system, and that's something, again, that I said I will deal with in November, um, where I feel like what's needed in the prison systems a lot of times with mental health they're only dealing with the people who they know that already had mental issues before but there are so many different things that happen that we need to deal with from a mental health um standpoint the same as when sometimes you have a lot of other people that are out here that are homeless but it's a mental health crisis that's causing them to be homeless so what is your your Spend your thought process with dealing with mental health issues. How do we get people more aware of what's going on and, and how do we help these people? Because just like I say, a lot of these people who are homeless, because we do have a lot of homeless people around here in this district, it has to do with the mental health. So if you were elected, what what would you do to try to change or to, to help to get more awareness about what's going on in the mental health community? Well, the first thing I want to say, I want to back up to the first part when you were talking about corrections and mental health. Now, I would say since about the year 2016, there has been a great push to find individuals that are in, you know, who are, excuse me, who are incarcerated that are suffering from mental illness. Um, so the, the prison system is, is oversaturated almost with mental health professionals. Um, psychiatrists, psychologists, things like that to help the population that's coming there for mental health. However, do I believe that everybody that's coming in there that have mental health issues need to be getting treated in a prison? No. And let's back up again. How do we get to this? Once again, that serpent comes in and now we had a full-blown crisis. When the mental health hospital was closed, And what's up there now, Bull Street? Okay, that was a city decision. When that was closed, where did all those mental health where where did all those mental health patients go? Once again, that's another example of a situation of closing something down, and you got all these people displaced. So there was that was city workers that was state, Mm -hmm. and then you have decentralized at a state level. You decentralized mental health services. You got people, if they want to see a counselor, if they're going through something, it's months before they get a call. Their doctor, their physical um, primary care doctor may send a referral out, and nobody ever calls them in some cases because our mental health services have been decentralized. So the first thing, we need to start opening up more opportunities for people to get, excuse me, to get mental health care on the street. They shouldn't have to go to prison to get the best mental health care. 
I agree. Because we have psychiatrists in the prison system who make a quarter of a million dollars in their state employees. So once again, you should not have to go to prison or be locked up to get mental health care. This is where we look at what have our leaders that a lot of us look up to, what have they been doing behind our back? Or more so, what have they been doing in our faces, but we haven't like we've been saying, holding them accountable. So we right. really need mm-hmm. in District 1, we got a lot of displaced mental health patients at Family mm-hmm. Park, Pitt City, behind the water plant. They're lined mm-hmm. up and down the top part of North Main, in the communities. They're displaced. Right. Just like Allen Benedict Court. Enough, you got more displaced individuals that deserve affordable housing, that deserve mental health treatment. Right. But our leaders have gotten rid of resources and now we just have people that are just without. So right. this time around, we got to elect people, not people that are associated with cliques or this person gave me an endorsement or that person gave me an endorsement. Because remember what I said in the beginning, when you speak up about what's right and you're focused on what's right, you're not always the most popular person because mm-hmm. the political system as it is, is a lot of under the table favors. And we got to move away from that as a city, as a state, as a country. Right. right. Well, Kristen, I definitely thank you so much for taking the time to come on. I'm going to give you one minute, one minute, less than one minute, to wrap up and to just tell the listeners, give give them your your last 60 seconds of letting them know why, again, they should vote for you um, and what you plan on doing. And just know that, as I said, if you are elected, we're going to hold you accountable. So I'm turning it over to you. Give us your last 60 seconds. Let us know what you, let, let the listeners know what you want them to remember, their takeaway about you. Yes, City of Columbia residents, District 1 voters, uh, we got to bring care and community development back into our communities. A lot of you all have seen the steady decline in our communities. And I want you to take this next couple of weeks before we start with absentee voting and, and, and just think of all the things that have not been done that you've been asking for and asking for and asking for. And I want to say to you once again, and I'll end it here, let's move away from the click. Let's move away from who's endorsing who, and let's put people into office who's actually going to care, care is the first thing, and get the job done. I'm Krista Williams running for Columbia City Council for District 1. Thank you so much, Krista. And as I will say to all of the candidates, good luck. Thank you so much. All righty. Okay, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and when I come back on the line, we're going to have candidate Tina Herbert. Your skin isn't just skin. It's a beautiful reflection of every single thing you've been through in life, which is why Dove Body Wash removes your skin's ceramides and strengthens it against dryness for instantly softer smoother skin you can lovingly embrace. Renew the love for your skin with Dove Body Wash. 
Pressure Points Unpacked podcast. I'm your host, Tyra Little, and I have with me now on the line, candidate Tina Herbert. And so I'm going to give Tina um, a little bit of time to give us a, some background about herself. And Tina, I want to thank you for taking the time out to come on Pressure Points Unpacked to let the listeners um, hear about your platform. Welcome. Oh, thank you so much, Tyra. And it's actually, um, it, it is a pleasure being here. I'm very honored for the opportunity um, and hope that we can have a great discussion tonight. Um, I'm Tina Herbert, um, born and bred right here in um, District 1. Um, I tell folks that I was, my the apartment that my parents had when I first, when I guess when I was first born, I can walk there and I do walk there, Willow One Apartments, it's probably half a mile from my house. Um, and so I've been in the community most of my life with the exception of school. And um, I really do understand a lot of the issues um, because I know a lot of the people. And, and it's not necessarily um, because of just association, but it is because of relationships. And I mm-hmm. think that it is important that whoever the representative is, that they have genuine relationships with all types of people throughout the community. Um, I am a lawyer now. I've been practicing since when I moved back home. Um, and right now I do workers' comp. Um, but what a lot of people may not know is that I worked for the city for seven years. And during that time, I was the deputy director for community development. So I did community development for the city. And then I was director of the Office of Business Opportunities and did economic development and work with small businesses. So um, I literally loved uh, almost there's it's very it's not very often that you see lawyers leave the practice to go do community development and that's what I mm-hmm. went to the city to do um and got actually moved into OBO which was you know it worked out fine for me and I really enjoyed it but um that's kind of my background um I I tell people I chose to come back to Columbia South Carolina um, I'm not one of the folks who, who feel that, that they're stuck in Columbia. I love Columbia. I see all the potential in Columbia. I see the potential in our district, and I think that um, I think that I would be uh, one of the, the best people that we could have to help us um, make the district better um, because we need a lot of improvements. There are a lot of issues going on. But then I also don't get weighed down too much into the negative because I always see the potential and I always look at the assets that we do have and how do we build on those assets to make our community better. Okay. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, Tina, let's get to these questions, ma'am. So, Yes, ma'am. Um, <laughs> based on the current shortage of affordable housing in the city, do you mm-hmm. think – it would have been more feasible and less expensive to completely renovate Allen Benedict Court rather than demolish and rebuild. Let's take a look at what Allen University did to Higgins Hall. Right. So there are a lot of there are a lot of layers to that. One thing I will say is that um, across the nation, because first of all, Allen Benedict Court is owned by the Housing Authority, um, and the Housing Authority is if you've heard any of their recent um, presentations, but public housing, because Allen Benedict Court was public housing, it will mm-hmm. no longer look like the public housing that we're used to from 20, 30 years ago. I used to live in public housing. Um, when I was in Raleigh, I lived in Chavis Heights, and Chavis Heights is the equivalent of Allen Benedict Court. 
when you go back to Chavis Heights in Raleigh, North Carolina now, it is not Chavis Heights. Um, and so housing authorities in general are really looking at do we what, how, what public housing looks like and do we want to move people to more single-family homes, and that's the model that they're building. I will say that based on their plans, and look, it's not my plans, but based on their plans, by mm-hmm. the time that they finish, they will have the same number of units that they had before. So they will come back to the same number of housing units that they had prior to shutting down Allen Benedict Court. But the other part of that is um, affordable housing is not just for the housing authority. The city of Columbia actually has funds um, in community development. We get housing dollars. They do housing loans. Um, One of my goals is to try and focus some of those funds specifically for District 1 and really target some renters who are in a good position to become owners. I have learned that everybody ain't ready, okay? Um, And so, but there are a lot of renters who are ready who just need that opportunity. So imagine uh, the city does it by itself doesn't have a whole lot of money, but it's very possible that we could target five to ten different families every year to move them from renting to home ownership. Um, So that will over the years, decrease that number. But what I like about it or what I would like to achieve with it is it actually gives them the ability to um, achieve wealth. My concern is that anybody who's been working full-time for 30, 40 years should be able to have something to show for it, and it shouldn't be, you know, just because you make $10 an hour. um, I see folks, you know, up before me and working 12-hour days, but they still can't afford to buy a home. So my passion is finding affordable programs where people who work just like anybody else, just because, you know, you don't have to be a lawyer to own a house. You don't have to have a $50,000 job to own a house. But I think if you're making 20000 and you work in uh, 40 hours a week, sometimes 60 hours a week, then we should have programs that allow you to develop wealth and have something to lead to your children um, so that, you know, you don't need to pay rent all of your life. You can have a 30-year mortgage and create some wealth because that's the, you know, wealth creation is the only way that we're going to start moving out of some of the disparities that we have. Right, right. No, you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Okay. Well, we're going to move on to one of the other questions um, that I have okay. here. For a long time, the Democratic Party has been aligned with being the voice for the people. We have seen for decades how this could easily be deemed an untruth. What is an area you are willing to change? Let me hold on. Let me see. What, what is an area you are willing to change the Democratic Party on or work with them to repair that directly benefits the people? Especially um, not coming from a black woman, because I think, you know, these days, um, you know, the black woman is, you know, we are the power of the party. Um, But in my experiences and the people that I talk to, I used to be a public defender. So, you know, I I deal with a a lot of black men a lot of times. And I really believe that the Democratic Party has failed to get the voice of 
everyday black men, okay? And by that, I mean, um, so, and I guess I'm talking about, and it may not necessarily to some people be everyday, but I'm talking about our ex-offenders. I'm talking about um, guys who just have regular jobs. I think we have the voice of people, of, of some black men, but I think that we're missing what black men you know, the ones that we're always talking about, like what are the black men doing and where are the black, you know, that discussion that we're having, mm-hmm. I, I think that we're missing the boat and missing the opportunity of bringing them into that conversation. And instead of saying what we think um, black men need, we need to hear from them. Um, and I, I don't think that's necessarily popular for a black mm-hmm. woman to say, but I think it's, it's cool. I mean, I think it's absolutely essential. Um, mm-hmm. When I talk to some of my clients um, that aren't quote unquote involved in the party, I'm very involved in the party. But when I talk to folks who aren't in the party, they, I mean, so many young black men who just feel totally disconnected from the party. So I would say one of the things that I would really, really want to work um, with is trying to help us, really get into the community, talk to the black men that we keep talking about, and really making sure that we have a platform that addresses their needs um, that we can start implementing. And I think um, from my perspective, if we can do that, then it benefits and the entire, at least the entire black community. I think it benefits everyone. Um, but I think that that's just very essential that we do, and I think that it's something that the Democratic Party, um, and I love the Democratic Party, but I think that that is one thing that we just have not done a great job at. Well, and and, and I also think this, Tina, um, it's unfortunate because I think a lot of times when people run and they run, you know, on the Democratic side of that ticket, they automatically feel like they have the African-American vote. And so, right, right. Um, I don't know. I, I'm more of listening to what people have to say, their platform, and choosing from there instead of just voting a straight ticket. That's that's just that's just me because some people feel oh, yeah. like the vote yeah. is guaranteed ver- versus it being earned. You know what I'm saying? So absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, I will. I do have a question for you because you you said something kind of sparked you sparked my attention when you said. Um, you know, we're talking about, we're having a conversation about black men, but really not getting that input. And you were saying that that's one of the things that you would love to see happen. What, how would you, how would you go about doing that? Getting, getting there to actually hearing what, how, how will we be able to, as a community, pull people together so that we could get that information? Mm-hmm. Do you have a vision for that? What, what would that look like for you? Well, sometimes, so for me, um, we have interactions with, with regular old people every day. I think mm-hmm. that we fail to engage them. So, I mean, I literally, um, I, I get in my practice, I have folks who are injured at work. And what some people may not understand is typically people who get injured at work, they work in manufacturing, they, you know, they work mm-hmm. in fast food, they, but they, you know, they're doing something physical. Okay. So, right. Of sometimes they're not the highest paid, if, if you know, in a lot of situations. And so, I talk to these folks all the time. <laughs> like, and I love having. And you know, I always tell them, okay, now we're gonna talk about your case, and then we're gonna talk about life. Um, so it's very easy if 
if you have them in your circle already. But even if you don't, I was talking to um, a good friend who lives um, in the district, and um, she was saying that she can't get the fellas. You know, she can't get the fellas on the block to come to the neighborhood meeting. And I said, and they not. Look, I, and I basically said, honestly, don't even, because I, I had to help with starting my own neighborhood association. And as I was mm-hmm. knocking on doors, I mean, most black men, I love them to death. They said, no, Miss Herbert, I ain't coming to no meetings. And, you know, that's their truth. And so we Mm -hmm. have to find things that they're interested in. But what I told this person is I said, how about this? How about they don't need to come? You just choose a day that y'all can just sit out on the porch. I will come out there. Um, And you know which ones might be interested or may not be interested. But it does require us to go to where the people are and meet Mm -hmm. them where they are as opposed to thinking that they will come to us. Because what we fail to realize is new settings are very intimidating. And they're intimidating to people who maybe haven't been exposed to, um, you know, one of my guys, I said, okay, you got to get registered to vote. He didn't think he could vote because he had a felony. And I was like, that's the biggest misinformation uh, campaign that's out there. Um, And then I remember I called him back and I said, you've never voted, have you? And he was like, Miss Herbert, I don't want to look silly. I said, baby, you know, you got to get over it. But. We, I mean, something as simple as that as making people feel comfortable and letting them understand that you understand that this this new thing may be scary, um, and just being there for them and talking them through it, make them laugh. Um, I tell them, I say, yeah, I messed up some buttons last time, and they had to start it over. Don't worry about it. But you have to, I mean, you have to meet people where they are. Um, mm-hmm. And I specifically told this young lady, I said, and I do suggest that you get a few men, somebody will ask a question that maybe will make someone else ask the question. Um, mm-hmm. Because, again, in, a, in some of these situations, it's hard for men to open up. Um, it's hard for them to, you know, get to the issues. And so my thing is you do whatever you need to do. Um, but mm-hmm. do also always understand that you, you, you do better to go where the people are as opposed to trying to get them to come to something that you have, um, you know, your normal, because we expect them to come in and and fit into our normal. You need to come and fit in our normal monthly meeting. They're not coming to fit in your normal monthly meeting. Um, So we just have to be creative. Right. I mean, and this is something that, that I'm sure a lot of people are facing when it comes to community meetings, and that's just something that we're going to have to figure out a way to, um, to try to restructure this thing. So that we can get you. more people involved in our community meetings. I mean, that's that's the same thing that's happening in in my neighborhood as well. Um, so uh, yeah. let's actually yeah. or, or make it here. fun. Look, I was gonna say or make it fun. You know, I used to tell people, and I guess you know, and I'm not politically correct all the time, but you know, I used to say, well, back in my day, all black men played basketball. So let's let's well, let's meet up at the park um, and and shoot some hoops. You know, we, but we have to. Again, just just kind of think of the, the the folks that you want to get there, and give them a reason to come. Because you know, coming to a meeting sometimes for some people is not the most enticing thing to do on a Saturday, you know, on a Saturday afternoon. Mm-hmm. So we have to be creative, though. Well, I mean, that's that's definitely a fact. I think that's a struggle that that we're having in in a lot of communities. Um, mm-hmm. Well, not a lot of neighborhoods, I will say. Right. So here's my next question for you, Tina. Um, it's important to be 
to be a physical representation of the communities you intend to serve. However, marginalized and minority communities have often felt unrepresented and overlooked by the people that look like them. What experience or vision makes you qualified to serve this community? Now, I know you've talked about with you being an attorney um, and, you know, the people that are coming through your office, but give me something else besides that that um, oh, that makes you qualified right. to, to serve this community. Well, one of the things I think that, that, that folks should be looking for um, as a representative is you have to have someone who, because um, I don't I don't think the degrees matter, but you do have to have some life experiences and exposure so that you can make good decisions for people. I think that's critical, um, and I do believe that you have to be pretty decisive um, because you know you can't look because when you're the representative, you can't ask anybody else um, what do you think I should do. You you know you get their input, um, but I have a proven record of. Um, first of all, serving in, you know, various positions. Um, I was on the DDRC um, years ago for a couple of years, um, and then I've worked for the city. Um, but, again, I don't think those are things that help me. Um, but you also need to be a leader who can galvanize people. Um, you need to be a person. The, the biggest thing that I've seen with District 1, um, and I hope I can speak very candidly, but I really do see that black people really need their black representative so much more than maybe white people do. And I hope I can say that just candidly um, because a lot of times black folks have no clue where to go at the city to get something done. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't know who to call. They don't have connections. They don't have friends working up there. And so the, the role of the representative is crucial to them to getting their needs met. And so to me, it's almost a higher responsibility when you represent a district that is majority black. Well, your friends, your neighbors, they really do need you. And, and I, hope the mess, I hope what I'm saying is, is coming through, but because mm-hmm. I, know, um, I know, you know, white folks in the district, and, and look, and I'm not saying it's, it's anything negative, because some of them are my closest friends, but mm-hmm. they, you know, they also know um, the assistant city manager. I'll call Missy and tell Missy we need X, Y, Z. Well, right. my friends in green, you don't, they don't know who Missy is. <laughs> do you, do you right. see what I'm saying? Right. And so, no, I mean, no, absolutely. Means, no, I understand. I mean, and what you're saying yes. is, is very true. Um, and, yeah. and having a representative that's going to be that voice that's for the people or that be where people can actually reach them is definitely right. very important. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's needed right. um, because this is how we begin to educate the community so that they'll know who to reach out to, you know? And I think too, but, you know, but it's also, so you have to be, you know, you have to be easily accessible. They need to be able to call you and reach you as they need you. But then you also have to know the solution or make sure mm-hmm. that you can get it done. Um, I think, Sometimes that's that's the other part of the issue. People do bring an issue to a council person, but they can't figure out what the solution is or figure out who to go to or do the follow-up to make sure it gets done. So it's, it's being accessible so that you understand the issue, and then it's making sure the issue gets handled. And then I like to take it 
to another level of, well, why did you even, why did it even have to get to the council person in the first place? Because some issues only get to the council person because city staff hasn't done something, okay? Like, mm-hmm. you know, usually they called somebody, you know, they were told to call this person, and they called three times, and it's six months later, and nothing has happened. I'm the type of person that I also like to analyze systems and see, well, what's the problem here? Calls, why they having to call three times, and there's still no solution to their problem. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm that kind of person because yeah. – I don't think you should have to elevate everything. I think that city staff and customer service should treat every citizen with the same amount of respect, um, give them the same amount of response um, all the time. And I don't know if we necessarily get that. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to have issues if I feel like, you know, my folks aren't getting the same responses as other folks. Right. I just got another question. Um, just got okay. another question that came through to me. Let me ask you this, um, and it's funny because you kind of kind of said said something that actually, and, and I know that really triggered this question here. Um, mm-hmm. So, as as city council, um, your constituents are the people that vote you in. So, if there right. is an issue where the city is being sued, right? because of something that was done to a constituent. Mm-hmm. How would you make sure that you're being fair? So you're presenting information, um, but would your vote be to protect the city? Or are you going to look at it as, well, this is what happened to the constituent and someone needs to answer for this? Am I kind of clear or am I being too vague? Well, no, I, th- I think no, I think you're you're fine, and I think and honestly, the, the answer is it depends because sometimes those things do not come to us. We have a legal department, um, and our legal department will determine what the legal answer is, um, and and right. so what we all. Do you see, so what we have no, to realize no, no, you're right. too is, now let me ask you this then if the legal department's right. recommendation is to do one thing right right but as a city council member do you not think that it is your responsibility you're hearing what the city is laying out but to look at the situation a little deeper to make sure that you just don't go with what the city recommendation is if it looks as if there is another issue here. Oh, no, first of all, absolutely. And one of the benefits of having been city staff is mm-hmm. I can pretty much tell when somebody has done their homework and someone hasn't. I mean, you can, <laughs> you can tell it. Um, mm-hmm. But I will say when legal issues arise, and if it comes to something that city council does have to take a vote on, um, we, I mean, first of all, I want to know what the law is. You know, what does the law say? Mm-hmm. And then, that, I mean, that, that, that's where you, you we got to start there. And sometimes our citizens are on the right side of it. Sometimes they are not. But as right. a lawyer, I'm, I mean, I'm just going to go with the law. I have advised people to sue the city, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, I have been sued as a person working for the city. So I believe that, first of all, if you have an issue and it's not resolved, 
do what you need to do. You know, I'm not one of those people that'll say um, you shouldn't do that because, I mean, that, that's a part of your right. And as a lawyer, who am I to say don't, you know, don't pursue? Um, right. And I think that the law will lead us there. Um, sometimes we may differ, but, I mean, I'm just going to, I'm going to look at the facts and I'm going to apply the law. I will tell you a lot of times we don't get that option. You know, we're presented with scenarios. Um, and then, you know, they can take stuff, you know, a lot of times it's decided in court. They go to trial. We have, you know, we literally have nothing to do with it. Um, the outcome is whatever happens at the courthouse. Um, I think a lot of times counsel people like it that way. Um, so that, you yeah, know, it's, un- it's unfortunate because, you know, if you're voted in, these are your constituents. I understand you work for the city. But if right. these are your constituents, I think it is your duty and your obligation to them to look further than just the information that has been given to you. You know? Oh no, and that's what I said. Um, no, no, I said mm-hmm. that. I'm a look mm-hmm. at it. But but I mean so and and I guess I'm saying this from a lawyer standpoint, I right. have to tell my clients every day they wrong. Right. I mean and look and I and I, I represent them and they pay me. Right. But when I look at the law and the facts, that's how I make the decision. Um, and, you know, it, it just is what it is. But right. if, if, the, if the question is, am I always going to side, side with constituents no matter what, I can't no. say that. Yeah, because no, I really need to look at what, yeah, what the law says. Yeah, yeah no, no. But I, no, yeah, I like to not. investigate. Yeah. Yeah. Right, and and that's what should happen. It shouldn't be that you that you should just automatically go with a decision that the city says or just you know the constituent either. But I just wanted to know what your you know what your take was on that. You know, if you would make sure that you dug a little further. So. Well, yeah, um, and I think yeah, this is the last thing I want to say with that too is, and you want a counsel person who knows the questions. If mm-hmm. if if it's on a subject or if it's something that you just have no clue about, it's really hard for you to ask the questions because I will tell you, we don't, you know, counsel don't, they don't get all the information. So you're right about that. But right. it's incumbent for you to have a, enough exposure to be able to ask the right questions, right. you know what I'm saying, to get, right. what did you talk to, for you have in fact talked to one, two, three, four. Okay. And what, you know, and, and just make sure that they have dotted their I's and crossed their T's. Absolutely. Correct. Absolutely. Correct. Correct. Well, we are running up on seven o'clock. Um, so I want you to give the listeners um, what you want them to know before they go to the polls. Um, this is your opportunity. Your 60, 60 seconds to give it to them. <laughs> well, first of all, I want to thank you, Tyra, um, for the opportunity and the conversation. Um, I love dialogue, and I think that we have to um as as people force each other to have dialogue, challenge each other, um, ask the hard questions. So I appreciate you for that. Um and then what I would tell the listeners is um, you know, I'm Tina Herbert, I'm running for District One. Um and I'm running because I really do believe that um I've had a, a life of life experiences between economic development and community development. I'm a small business owner. Uh, look, a teen mom um, who's had to overcome a lot of obstacles. Um, when you put all these life experiences together, I, I do believe that um, I'm just well situated to represent our district. 
I have a proven track record of um, bringing matching public dollars with private sector dollars. Um, I have actually done the facade program on North Main Street, giving businesses money to beautify their buildings um, and then giving them the technical assistance so they could know how to, you know, the things that they needed to do to get access to the money. Um, and so, I, I mean, I just have a track record of doing a lot of that already. And I just um, want the opportunity to serve because I think that I can help move our district to the next level. And I would love to have their support. They can find more information about me at www.tinaherbert.com. And again, Tyra, I want to thank you for your time and for the opportunity. Well, Tina, I definitely thank you. And I will say this, the same thing that I said to Krista. If you are elected city councilwoman for District 1, just know we're going to hold you accountable. Um, this is what Look, the community needs yeah. to do. We need to be more active mm-hmm. at holding people accountable. Time out for letting people ride and have seats forever in a day. And then you complain about the things that are not being done and we don't do anything about it. You know, so time out for that. And I will also say this, as well as what I said to Krista too, if you do not win, we still want to see you be active because this this is you you're in district one. This this is this is your community. So we have got to make a change, win or not. So I definitely appreciate you taking time out of your day, Tina. I know you were in mediation all day, so I definitely <laughs> Um, appreciate you taking the time and coming on the show. And so this is Pressure Points Unpacked. I'm your host, Tyra Little. As I said, I'm inviting all of the candidates on. If you don't hear them on here, it's because they decline. So see you next Tuesday at 6 o'clock. It's the Pressure Points Unpacked podcast with host Tyra Kiki Little. We're live Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Our show deals with personal and community issues by getting to the root cause and causes on an open and raw level. We're unpacking emotional, spiritual, mental, and physical topics that influence and often control us. So stay tuned and get ready to unload, examine, and process through your issues and begin the healing process from a whole person perspective. Let's, Let's get, get an unpacked. I never had it so good. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.